0: Listening to First Church Charlotte. Today I am preaching from this subject. Uh, You guys know I like to try to have fun with my titles. My title today is Road Music. Road Music. How many of you have ever made a road trip? Now, if if you haven't made a road trip, uh, I don't know if you're blessed or cursed. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, Road trips are part of the American, shall we say, cultural inheritance. My wife and I spent uh, the first eight and a half years of our marriage traveling uh, from one corner of America to the other corner of America, and so we would drive, literally every week we would drive uh, sometimes hundreds of miles, and we would be in this city for a while, and then we would move to this city and move to this city, and continually On the American highways. And um, my wife was a very good traveling partner in most ways. Um, She let me listen to whatever I wanted to listen to pretty much because she would immediately fall asleep. As soon as we hit the road, we would get on the highway, we would start driving. And if the wheels were turning, it was as though the heavens opened and the Lord said, My daughter, thou shalt be sleeping in bliss and happiness. And she would say, Yes, Lord, I hear you. And she would go straight to sleep. and I would be left to uh, carry the burden of progress all alone. Uh, the Lord was preparing me, right? <laughs> so just having fun i can 't pick on my wife today because it 's it's her day. so anyway, uh, if you 've been on any type of a road trip with anyone, you know they can make you crazy. They can be great fun, and they can also make you a little bit crazy. In fact, if you 've gone on a road trip and you did not use wisdom in selecting the person you were traveling with. It was a uniquely bad experience in your life. Now, if you're with your friends, uh, it's fine. You can do all, but if you're stuck on a road trip, I'll never forget in college, there was a guy who just didn't like me at all, did not like me at all. And the reason why is because Charla liked me and not him. And I hated that for him, but you know, life is hard. And, uh, (laughs) he hated me. I don't know if he hated me, but it seemed like that to me. We had to take a 12 hour road trip together because of uh, consequences. And, watching that guy pretend he liked me for 12 hours was painful. It was painful. But if he wanted to get there, he had to go with me. But, you know, that wasn't the only thing he lost. Anyway, moving along. Uh, <laughs> road trips are part of kind of American inheritance. When we we, we we sing about it, a lot of music is called road music. In fact, if you go online and you do a search for road music or best road songs, um, you'll Get a lot of websites giving you a list of road music, and I, I wrote down some of the songs. Some of them I know. I think I've heard them all. Um, some of them I knew, and some of them I didn't. I can't sing them for you. But uh, number one uh, road music uh, song was Bruce Springsteen, "Born to Run." I've heard that, but I couldn't sing it for you. Uh, Paul Simon singing "Graceland" again. I, I've heard it, but I can't sing it for you. Uh, the Eagles singing "Take It Easy." Unfortunately, I can sing that one for you, y'all. Pray for me i 'm um, influenced by my parents very early in life and <clears throat> Uh, Also, famous, famous, famous song for traveling by Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere. Um, Now, my grandmother loved Johnny Cash. This is on my dad's side, uh, the more spiritual side, which comes as a shock, I know. Uh, But she loved Johnny Cash. I think she met him when she was young, and uh, the grandkids teased her for years about how she was against ungodly music, except for Johnny Cash. And so, uh, you know what kind of family I come from, (laughs) Uh, Ride Like the Wind. I know that one. I can sing that one for you. That's by Christopher Cross. And then a uh, favorite road song, at least for me, that I can sing for you the best is Willie Nelson. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. Y'all stay calm. The life I love is making music with my friends. Mm, stay calm. I can't wait to get on the road again. My agent will be calling, just so you know. Um, We say one to another, life is a journey and not a destination. And and we get that. It's something that is deeply, uh, any reflective person at all who lives this life as we know it, uh, at some point in their becoming, some point in their maturing, they will see the value of learning to uh, enjoy the destination and not always postpone enjoyment for a excuse me, to enjoy the journey and not always postpone enjoyment for the destination. Uh, there is an inherent restlessness in the human condition where we don't do well with destinations. I don't you know if you've noticed that, but it's, it's fundamentally true to the human experience. If, if you put all your hopes on a car, you'll get there and then you'll hate the car payment. If you put all your hopes on a house, you'll get there and it'll turn into a to-do list of things you've got to fix. Uh, we don't do so well with destinations. We do quite well with journeys, however. And so uh, we get this, we say this one to another as as kind of life advice to try to find a way to enjoy the journey and not just always look for uh, the destination. This is uh, really something true wherever you are in life. I I have in my my notes uh, two quotes, the exact same quote, what I've said, um, to show whatever side of the street you're on, this is something you experience to be true. Uh, The rock band Aerosmith in 19. 93, wrote a song entitled Amazing. I can't sing that for you. But the lead singer, Stephen Tyler, says, uh, life's a journey, not a destination. Well, this wasn't original with him. If you go to the other side of the street, you'll find yourself with a well-known Methodist pastor and theologian in 1920 in a Sunday school lesson on uh, the New Testament letter of 1 Peter. And he says this, quote, life is a journey and not a destination. Now, the difference is if you keep reading the theologian, he has some more to say, which goes on like this. The heart is the life is a journey and not a destination. The heart must be set upon those matters of character which are eternal and not upon those matters of sensation which pass away. Good advice. I'm pretty sure Stephen Tyler and Aerosmith left that part out. (laughs) Anyway, the point I am making in talking about road music is this past Sunday... I was preaching about Jesus on the great day of the feast where having had seven days of the celebration of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, he stands up on the eighth day when uh, they are supposed to show they are content. They're supposed to celebrate and symbolically demonstrate their contentness. On that day, Jesus stands up On the day they celebrate contentness, contentness, contentedness, and he says, if any of you thirst, come unto me as if to say, if having what this world can offer you is still not enough, you should come to me and drink. If you have questions that cannot be answered by your career, you should come to Jesus and open your heart. If you, find, if you find in your life a lack of fulfillment by having possessions, houses and lands, so to speak. If you're still hungry, I, I, I want to tell you about Jesus because he's the only one who can satisfy everything that is beyond the material, the temporal that is of this world. And so I preached about that and I explained the feast of tabernacles. And I, I told you how they, they built booths to remember when they did not have shelter. And they left gaps in the walls to remember when there was a day when the wind was a threat to them. And they left holes in the roof to remember a day when they would see the stars in the heaven as, as they slept. And that is one of the three great feasts of uh, the worship of the faith of the Jews. There are two others. You will know them as the Passover and you will also know uh, Pentecost. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. What's unique about these three, and all of this information is in your notes if you download off the website, Um, what's unique about these three is you could not celebrate them staying home. You had to go to the Temple uh, during the time of the sojourning, they would gather around the tabernacle. That was that was the uniqueness of the three great feasts uh, celebrated in this manner. They made you become a traveler. It was not enough to be a worshiper; you had to be a traveler if you were going to get these three right. Now, I don't have time today, although I would deeply love doing it to use these three feasts as teaching examples. Uh, that'll be another time, another series. Uh, I simply want to point out to you that on these three feasts, you could not fulfill them and stay where you are. You had to go to the city of the Lord, which is set in Jerusalem, which is a high point in the geography. And so almost everyone would make their way to Jerusalem by climbing up through the mountains that surround Jerusalem. And as you did this, you became in literal sense and in religious symbol, you became a sojourner on your way to the city of God. This is an important image because this is a reminder of how the faith journey, the faith journey was first established by Father Abraham who was given a city whose builder and maker was God as an idea, a place he would never arrive at, but a place even so he needed to seek. God will build a city. There is a city whose builder and maker is God. A day will come when the new Jerusalem will descend from heaven have any apostolics in the house. Aren't you looking forward to this day? The city of God will descend. And in this city, it will be unlike any city you have ever seen. Its builder and its maker is God. Watch this. There will be no tears in this city for all you people who have cried many a mile of your life. There will be no more sorrow in this city. There will be no more sickness in this city. It's a city worth looking for. And this city has no need of a star, no need of a sun, because the Lord shall be the light in that city. Yes, that city's coming, but it wasn't in Abraham's world, but Abraham needs to look for it. This creates the reality that the only way to get God right, the only way to get faith right, the only way to get pursuit of righteousness right right was to forget looking down here and start looking up there. You see? So this idea of the believer as a seeker, this idea of the believer as a sojourner, as a pilgrim, a person who is in this world but continually reminding themselves in devotion, this world is not my home. This person who is here but looking there. This person who is living, walking, breathing here but living for there. This is the image of the walk of faith. Every one of you who is seeking God, seeking to know him, seeking heaven, you're like Abraham. You're here, but it's just for a little while. A day will come when God will take you there we are all of us sojourners, travelers, pilgrims. And so three times a year, this is quite a lot when you think about people who have fields to keep. They have livestock to tend to. This is quite a lot of sojourning for people who are busy trying to have enough to eat. But three times a year, they, all of them become sojourners and they go to celebrate and They don't just go. The Lord wants them to go in a certain way. Now, this is important. Uh, I want to say this, and then I want to explain it. It's possible to come to church and get nothing from church. It's possible to come to church and have secret sin in your life. It's possible to come to church and be far from God. It's possible to come to church as social imaging and connection and not be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not just us. It's every generation. In the house of Israel, the prophets were sent, not because the people weren't going to church, to use our language, but because they were going to church the wrong way, and it made God sick. Stay with me. It's not enough to be here. We've got to be here and be right in our preparation. If my spirit is not prepared, I will get much less from the church experience. Let me show this to you in the scripture here. As the people begin to walk toward Jerusalem, they are given a playlist, so to speak. Now, I'm old enough to remember CDs, and I still have a car that has a cassette player in it, a truck that has a cassette player in it. Um, Kids these days, they are all about playlists. They make playlists on music services, and unless they're buying vinyl to pretend they're as cool as old people, um, and they're not, just so you know, uh, they have have an image of coolness, but not the coolness thereof. Mm, Nathaniel 14 and 2. I'm quoting a lot of Nathaniel today. I still have books full of CDs, and um, that shows my declining nature, and I'm years old. So, uh, playlist for the people. Uh, the Lord gave them songs to sing. He gave them road music, just like you would get on a road trip and you'd pick your music. Great road music has a certain momentum to, to it. It's not too depressing where you just want to quit. And it's not so crazy that you want to kill somebody in road rage. It fits that right level of a sense of momentum. It's moving right along and it's keeping you on task. God gave his people road music. I referenced it last Sunday, and then I decided to come back and spend a moment longer on it this Sunday. We call them the songs of ascent. Why ascent? Because this is what they sang as they climbed the mountains into uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. There are fifteen songs that the Lord gave for them to sing as they walked toward Jerusalem. Uh, In your notes, I give you the theme of each fifteen psalms and. Uh, I'm not going to try to preach the themes of 15 songs today, although I would dearly love doing it. Um, I don't have time for that. I have uh, more in my heart than you have patience in your heart. So I'm not going to preach all 15 themes, but you will see these themes given in your notes. Um, Psalms, uh, the first of them is Psalm 120. Uh, The theme of this is God's presence, not simply... By itself, but in your distress, the presence of God in your distress. Psalms 121 is joyful praise to the Lord, not simply praise to the Lord. You can praise the Lord even in discouragement and despair. Indeed, the Bible teaches you to do so. That's not what they're talking about here. They're talking about joyful praise to the Lord. The third uh, song given to us as spiritual road music is a prayer for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, the fourth or the fifth is uh, prayer for the help that can only come from God. Uh, the sixth is prayer for god 's blessing upon his people. Seven is a praise for the great things God has done. Are you starting to get an idea that God wants you to have a playlist for when you are on your way to his house because if you get here and you aren 't ready to receive it will not matter if He was here to meet you if you 're not ready. It will not matter if the angels are ready. It will not matter if the preacher's ready. It will not matter if praise and production is ready. We do everything we can to help you. Yes, we absolutely do. We try everything we we can to give insiders and outsiders. We try to make everybody happy. Is that possible? Nay. And again, I say nay. But we try. Why? We want to help you, but I'm going to give you a spiritual truth. If you come to church the wrong way, uh, the worship pastor is not going to be able to get you here fast enough. If you come to church the wrong way, the preacher is not going to be able to prepare you in the time we have together. You need to get you some spiritual road music. And when you start getting ready in the morning before you even come to church, you start saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. I don't know what God's going to do, but I think something good is about to happen. You see, I can't prepare you. You know why the priests don't sing the songs of ascent? Because they can't, that's your heart. You are the one who can control your heart, a.k.a. your attitude, a.k.a. your willingness to receive your sense of the spiritual. I can preach all day, I can't control your heart. You've got to decide on your way to the house of God, I am going to exalt his name. Yeah. Let me give some quick marriage advice. Don't pick Saturday night to have a fight. You save your fight for Monday morning. It's biblical. <laughs> I know you've never read it anywhere, but just 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 work with me here on this. If you pick a fight on fr- Saturday night with your wife, you know what you're going to come to church? It's going to be the first church of the frigid air. When you get here, you're going to get up and you're going to say, "Hi." And she's going to say, "Hi." And you're going to say, you look nice this morning. Thank you. It's going to be so much passive aggression in that car that when you get here, you're going to be worrying about how to save your marriage, not hear from God. And then you're going to be mad at the preacher as if the preacher could save your marriage for you. He might can help, but honey, you got work to do. We have to care about how we come to the house or like the Old Testament, we come here and we're not ready for the presence of God. We're not ready to have faith. We're not ready to lift up holy hands without (laughs) wrath or doubting. We didn't come in the doors with thanksgiving. We have not built a foundation of gratitude in our heart that we can build faith upon. I'm not preaching about that. Even though I'm preaching about that, I'm moving along here. So, God's people live as sojourners. We live as foreigners looking for a country of our own. And as believers, we look for God's kingdom not this world's kingdoms we look for God's kingdoms and we 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 have to be shaped spiritually because there is no spiritual foundations in the temporal we must hear from God we must pursue his presence we must sojourn we must seek we must ask we must knock and in the process of spiritual journey we become useful to the kingdom of God it is through that journey that transformation happens in in our life it is through the journey where spiritual maturity takes its, its place in our life and we become useful to the kingdom of God. We become vessels unto honor in the hands of God because we have been walking with him. Our hand is in his hand. And these Psalms of Ascent give us this image of people, they're not just going in religious duty, they are preparing themselves to stand on holy ground. So it is with us today. We must sojourn. We must pursue uh, God. And if we would look at these themes in these psalms, and uh, someday I may do a, a Wednesday night Bible study style series where I go over these themes and uh, take a little bit more, uh, more of a deeper look. Uh, but today, I want to see. I want to show you the beginning, the moment when a person acknowledges God and turns their heart toward. Toward spiritual journey, I want to show you this, and you can see it uh, in Psalms one uh, twenty where uh, the writer says this: "In my distress, I called to God, and he answered me, What just happened in my distress, I called to god isn 't it interesting how we so often are blind to the spiritual when everything is good isn 't it interesting how, when everything's working in our behalf we 're blind uh, to the presence of God in our life, but when trouble comes, we all of a sudden are awakened to the fact that we need to maybe uh, turn our hearts toward the Lord. Don't waste the trouble in your life. Trouble can make you bitter, but there's no spiritual advantage to being bitter. Trouble can make you calloused in your heart, but there's no spiritual advantage to becoming callous. Let me tell you the only spiritual advantage to trouble, you turn your heart to perceive the presence of God. And in your trouble, you perceive the nearness of God. So verse number one, the very first song we're going to sing as we turn toward the city of God. At the very beginning, what is our confession? Trouble has made me aware of God's presence. I've called to him and he has answered me. What are we seeing here? This is beginnings. This is literally step number one. I cried unto God. This is a picture of submission. This is a picture of repentance. This is literal spiritual beginnings. In my distress, in my trouble, in the the shortness of my days, in the struggle of my years, I, I turned to God and I said, God, I need help. Have you made progress? No, but you've woken up and you've turned toward God. Progress will soon follow the person who wakes up spiritually and turns their heart toward God. God will answer the prayer of the sinner. While we were yet sinners. Christ loved us while we were yet sinners Christ died for us even if you're at step number one where you're just awakened to the presence of God and you turn your heart toward him that is the moment where you see the faithfulness of God because he answers them This is step number one. No one would deny this. I think whatever your theological inheritance, whatever your style and preference of religious service and worship, I think we all would agree that step number one is the acknowledgement of God. And that usually comes through trouble in our life. But that is a beginning, a journey. From that moment, we're going to begin a spiritual journey. This is important for us to see because change comes through journey attorney Uh, There's a movie that came out in 2010. I I haven't seen it, but I found this story in my research for this message, so I kind of have it on a short list. Uh, The next time I'm in a mood to watch something, which uh, in my case, I don't watch a lot of movies, but sometimes I'm in the mood. This is a uh, movie called The Way, and it's the story of an American doctor who is estranged from his son. Uh, The doctor has lived a very disciplined life of pursuing career, and as a result, he's quite successful doesn't have a lot of joy in his life, not a lot of happiness, but he's quite successful. And his son is very different than him, and his son wants to live a reflective life of of consideration and quiet time and not the life of pursuing career and success. Well, this causes a lot of tension between them, and they're they're estranged from each other. Uh, The movie is... When the son tells his father he's going to South America because he wants to take a hike, uh, it is an extended hike. It's a dangerous hike. They call it, it's a real, it's a real hike. It's called the Way of St. James. I think it's in Argentina. Um, it's the local name for it is the Camino del Santiago and it is this hike along the peaks of the mountain change that runs vertically up the Pacific rim of south america and uh, there people go and they take this extended hike to discover themselves. Well, the dad, the doctor, doesn't want his son to do it. He thinks this is more as an example of a son wasting his life. He can't acknowledge the fact that his son's way is okay. If his son doesn't do what he has done, which is work, 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 then his son is a failure. This causes a lot of trouble. Something tragic happens as his son is hiking this trail. Uh, a, a storm comes, and because it's a dangerous trail... His son is caught during the storm and he dies. The father, the doctor, uh, he is dealing with a lot of unresolved grief, a lot of anger at himself, and uh, he is discovering that he does not like the person he has been to his son. He, he doesn't like the kind of father he has been, and so he decides as a, a way of trying to see the world from his son's perspective, uh, he decides to go and hike that trail for himself, and he's unprepared for it, he's not a hiker, um, he's not young anymore, he's not in shape. He's not prepared psychologically. He's not physically conditioned for it. But his grief is so great. In spite of the danger, he decides, I'm going to do it now. And he does. He he goes and the story is about... The journey that he makes seeing the world from his son's perspective. And uh, it's a moving story. It's a touching story. The the father will uh, meet people who at first drive him crazy, uh, then change his worldview. Uh, He will meet people that he needs in order to survive. He'll meet people that he doesn't see eye to eye with, but without them, he would not make it. And it is the journey of learning. Now, The movie, uh, I haven't seen it, but it's supposedly very moving and good and highly recommended. Um, I I don't know. We'll we'll have to see that going forward. But the place is real. And the trail is real. Uh, And the hostel that's at the last city for the people who have made it all the way through the trail, uh, the owners of that hostel where you can stay, They were interviewed in this beautiful city of Santiago del Compostelo, and uh, it is very interesting what they said when they're interviewed. Uh, They meet people every day making the trip, and they will talk to them about why they're doing it. Uh, People always say the same thing. They are seeking for something in their life that they cannot find, they cannot explain. They are seeking something. They're looking for something. They're not finding it in cities. They're not finding it in careers. They're not finding it... In a new car or a bigger house. They're seeking something. And so they walk the dangerous way of St. James. Hoping that in the solitude. And in the danger and in the terror of mountain peaks. And freak storms in high mountain passes. They will find something that teaches them a way to live. And a manner of being. This journey of becoming is not just true for us as humans. The story of a journey is not just the way of St. James in South America. Uh, There's also uh, famous books about uh, people who have made journeys up the Appalachian Trail trying to overcome grief, trying to get over tragedy. People who've walked the tremendous trails up the Pacific Coast that go from the deserts of Southern California and uh, Nevada and Arizona all the way up into the, 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 the high, wet mountains of the Pacific Northwest. People seeking something, looking for something. It's the way we're made. It's the questions that will not be silenced. And uh, this is so true that spiritually the Bible always uses journey as example of becoming. Almost always, I should say, uses journey as example of uh, becoming, whether it's an individual, whether it is a tribe, whether it is a people, whether it is a nation on the way to a promised land or an exiled people trying to find their way back home. There's always the spiritual foundation of the journey. And in the New Testament, we still use the sense of seeking, asking, knocking. We are journeyers. This is so true that in the worship of the Jews, God established three annual feasts where you have not just to acknowledge the journey, you have to spiritually act it out so you may worship in the right way. you must be the sojourner seeking the city of God. and the journey matters so much you can't just do it any way you want to. you have to do it the right way. Here are 15 songs. you can pray them as prayers, you can sing them as songs, you can quote them as poetry. but this is your spiritual playlist. This is your spiritual road music on your way to the city. Of God. Now, having said all of that, I have taken you to a moment where I want to, if the Lord will gift me this, I want to show you something absolutely profound. What is the enemy of our progress, progress toward God? What is the first step? The first step, of course, is perceiving the presence of God Even in distress, even in trouble, or sometimes because of distress in trouble, that's step number one. Somebody say step number two. Now we're going to see in the very first song of ascent, we're going to see the very next thing that has to happen. Verse number two, Psalms 130, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. And then the writer speaks to his own tongue as though it were his enemy. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? I want to show you something. In my study, it just slapped me this week. The opposite of seeking after God and pursuing his way is the lies we tell ourselves. Let me say that again. The opposite of pursuing a journey to the city of God, the opposite of asking and seeking and knocking, the act the opposite of of really pursuing a God way of being is the lies we tell ourselves. I'm awakened to the presence of God. He is hearing my voice. I'm ready to begin my journey. What's the first thing I have to do? God, save me from the lies I tell myself. This seems to me to be a perfect picture of the opposite of the way of serving God, seeking God, pursuing God. It is so much the opposite that I'm going to show you some scriptures where you can see the life of self-deception is the living out of the kingdom of this world and to be the child of the father of lies. Satan himself it is here the very beginning of our journey to the city of God where this truth slaps us in the face you've got to stop with self-deception you've got to stop lying to yourself you've got to stop pretending it's time to be honest this is exactly what Jesus is getting at in John chapter number eight verse number forty four I'm reading it in a different translation, but we'll have it up in one you're more familiar with. Uh, I'm reading it in this translation so you have fresh ears when you hear it. When he, the devil, when the devil lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and the father, somebody say the father. The father of lies. Self-deception begins not with Adam and Eve. It begins with Lucifer. There is no heavenly rebellion without Lucifer telling himself a lie. There is no rebellion against the rule of God without Lucifer telling himself a lie. There is no insurrection against the creator without Lucifer telling himself a lie. Without the first lie told to himself, uh, there would not have been a fall the way it happened. The story would have been different, but because of the lie, Lucifer said to himself, I will ascend on high. Liar, I I will take God's throne for myself, liar. I will be the most high, liar. And thus begins the story of every sin that's ever been committed, every family that's ever been destroyed, every relationship that's ever ended in divorce or alienation. It all starts in its beginning with Lucifer telling himself a lie. And thus, he is the father of lies. This is the antithesis. That's just a fancy word for the opposite. You have thesis, you have antithesis. And if you want to be a nerd in the middle, you have synthesis. But having nerded out for a moment, the opposite of uh, the truth is the lie. This is why Jesus says, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Stay with me. Stay with me. I know I'm in some deep waters, but uh, sometimes as a church, we have to stand and swim and dive into uh, deep waters. Paul says to the early church, Colossians 3, verse number 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self. See the association with the world, the old you, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. Quit lying. You have taken off that old self and the... The practices of that old self. God's kingdom is founded upon the truth. The truth about you. The truth about him. The truth about who he is and who you are. The truth about The nature of being you are the truth about how God made you. The kingdom of heaven is only understood through the pursuit of truth. The kingdom of hell is represented by the great lie that is most effectively told to one's self. This image will recur. Old Testament, New Testament. I'll read Zephaniah chapter number three, verse number 12. Uh, this is an image of the kingdom of heaven to come. This is the image of what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. I will leave with you the meek and humble, the remnant. And the Bible says, uh, they will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. They will do no, this is the kind of people they are being transformed into. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. And they go on because it matters which kingdom you are a part of. A deceitful will not be found in their mouth. The greatest lies are the lies we tell ourselves. The most dangerous stories are the stories we tell ourselves. It is the lies of self-justification, the lies of worldly reasoning, the lies of the blame game, and lies are hell's favorite poison. And when the serpent shows up to destroy God's creation, he starts out with a lie. It's a lie about the nature of God, but it won't end there. It's going to breed. It's going to generation, generationally become a lie about God, about the manner to please God, a lie about who we are, a lie about what happiness can be for us. And the lie is going to be established and out of the father of lies because it comes a kingdom of lies that stands in spiritual opposition. To a kingdom that says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I'm gonna give you five lies, and I'm gonna try to move quickly through them. Uh, I go deeper in the notes if you wanna download those notes and read it uh, later on today or this week. But uh, five most common lies I think we tell ourselves that keep us from spiritual uh, progression, spiritual becoming. And uh, my musicians can go ahead and come now. Uh, n- lie number one I'm okay. This is lie number one. Uh, We can be going through seven types of sorrow, six times of suffering, and have five sins on our heart. And we'll come to church and act like we're spiritual. I didn't get any amens. I did not get a single amen. But I'm going to say amen for you. Amen. And again, I say amen. That was for you. All right. Um, We uh, pretend we are okay. Uh, The worst lies are the lies we tell ourselves. Let me tell you, to get God right, you need to humble yourself. I need to humble myself. I need to quit thinking I'm somebody. I'm not anybody. If I think I'm somebody, I deceive myself, and the truth is not in me. How about some James, since we talked about the way of St. James? If I say I have no sin, I'm a liar, and the truth is not in me. And so here we are in this realization that I'm not okay, you're not okay, I need mercy. His mercies are new every morning. We can't come to church like we have you know, shot the sheriff, so to speak. I'm on uh, old song images today, you can tell. Uh, We can't come to church like we're all that. We are not all that. If God doesn't make me whole, I'm never going to be whole. E aí if God doesn't make me safe, I'm never going to be safe. If God doesn't give me his confidence, I'm never going to get be confident. I'm going to always serve men and not God if he doesn't give me his confidence. I'm always going to be fearful of what man can do to me. When the Bible says I shouldn't be afraid of that, I should be afraid of what God can do to me. Because he is our judge. I am not okay. I need God. It's not okay for me to put on my superhero cape and pretend like I'm fine when I'm not fine. I need Penance. I need to be humble before the presence of God. I need to, in acknowledging my need for him, become strong. Because when am I strong in my weakness? I'm not saying you're not okay in the sense that you shouldn't accept yourself. Don't misunderstand. I'm saying I'm not okay in the sense that I am enough for me. My righteousness will never be covering and my goodness will never do what only Christ can do. That's not the biblical model. It's not the biblical model to say I'm enough. I'm okay. No. The biblical model model is to continually seek to uh, read, read the Psalms. He will continually say search me, O Lord. He will continually say test me, O Lord. He will continually say examine me, O Lord. He is asking for God's help to see through himself. You make me pure you wash my soul. Read Psalms 11, Psalms 17, Psalms 26. This is the attitude of Scripture. Lamentations 3 verse number 40. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Every day I want to find a place of repentance and I want to quit pretending that I am okay and I want to start saying without you Lord, I'm not going to make it. Without you Lord, I'm not going to have victory. You must Fill me with your power, your authority. You're not made weaker when you acknowledge your need. You're made stronger. You're not made weaker when you acknowledge your dependency. You are made stronger. Romans 8, verse number 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't even know what we should pray for, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groans that cannot be uttered. I'm weak. He's strong. I'm not okay. I need you. I always I always hate it when people... Wait till the very last minute to ask spiritual leadership to help them with trouble. I just want to say this to all of you if there's a struggle in your life, don't wait until you're at life or death spiritually to ask someone to help. Take it from me today. You are not enough for you. God has placed you in a church for a reason, God has surrounded you with believers for a reason. Do you see? God has placed you here. He places orphans in families, and God has placed you. Don't wait until it's almost over to ask and open and reach out. You are not enough for you. The second lie we tell ourselves is this. No one will ever find out. Um, This is a dangerous lie, Uh, and the reason why it's so dangerous is it is absurd. Um, It's improbable that no one will ever find out. Just on a carnal level. And it is quite probable that people will find out on a spiritual level because you have the word of God saying uh, your sins will find you out. And the Bible says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also uh, reap. This is a spiritual principle. So let me just say something really quickly um, about this. Uh, There is always a temptation to have secret sin in our life. This is not just for people in a pew. This is for preachers, too. It is always a temptation, uh, however spiritual you think you are. Um, In fact, the more spiritual you think you are or you present yourself to be, the more dangerous it is for you to have secret sin because you will have an increasing um, limitation. You won't be able to be honest about your need of God. You're too busy pretending to be something you're not. Okay. Secret sin is uh, there and um, it is a reality. And I want to say this not as a judgmental type of a pastor to a a sinner. I don't want to say it like this. I want to say it as as all on level ground. And I want to say this to all of you. If you or I, if any of us have secret sin in our life that is not being spiritually fought against, I'm telling you the reason why it has not been revealed is because of God's mercy in your life. And God is trying to reach you in another way he doesn't want to destroy he does he's not like the enemy who only comes to steal and to kill and destroy he's trying to reach you in another way but he will not let you go without risking your reputation to save your soul. The good shepherd, a day will come when he thinks the only way to save you is to bring to light your secret sin. And I'm telling you, this is not just for you. This is for everybody, all of us on the platform, everybody in our pastoral staff, every one of our church leaders. If there is any secret sin anywhere in the pastoral team of this church, I'm telling you, if it has not been revealed, it's because God is trying to mercifully bring that individual back to repentance he does not want to hurt he does not want to harm like a good shepherd but when we tell ourselves no one will ever know the joke is on you god loves you enough to break your heart you certainly broke his The second lie, the third lie we tell ourselves is no one will get hurt. <clears throat> so these go together. Number two was no one will ever know. And number three is no one will get hurt. I know, I know some Sundays I preach and it's all uplifting. And some Sundays I preach and it's all missional. And some Sundays I preach and it's, you know, explanation of scripture. Uh, this is what old-timers used to call one of those messages that dig down. This is conviction preaching right here. But I have a truth for every one of us. We need to have the Spirit dig down in our heart and life and challenge us with where we are living. And every spiritual in the church person of the church say amen. These two lies, no one will ever know and no one will get hurt, are some of the most predictable, but absurd self-deceptions of the human experience. What we're really saying is I don't see how anyone will get hurt right now, but you are not stuck in a moment in time. You are in a river of time. And what you didn't think would hurt right now could break somebody into this time next year when the story finally comes out. We cannot fall into these traps of no one will ever know and no one will be hurt. And I want to very quickly talk about something I I don't talk about a lot on a Sunday because of mixed audience and and children and all of that. I try to take care, but I I think this is appropriate in this day and age. Um, One of the tremendous downfalls and risks of having all our own personal devices is there's so many ways you can sin on your phone and sin on your ipad and sin on your computer and tell yourself no one will know and no one will be hurt it is a daily gate of hell that you have to turn away from It's every day Now, sin has always been at the door, okay? And the sin of lust has always been there. But now you can morally transgress on a whim in a weak moment after you've had a fight with your spouse. In some way, it's not all something like pornography. There's a million ways to be unfaithful with your devices. There's a million ways to break trust with your devices. There is a continual open door of hell available to every one of us to test us and to try us. And it is damaging, not just at the spiritual. You would expect me to admit the spiritual. I'm a preacher. I'm preaching to believers. I'm always going to fall back on the spiritual, but I want to take this a little bit deeper. And I want to say one of the problems of our time right now is we have so many people who grew up with open access and open availability of eccentric and odd pornography that they struggle to have a regular relationship with a real man or woman who would care for them and love them because they've been so deformed... I'm not talking spiritually. I'm talking at the level of humanity where marriages fail and people end up living alone. Not, there's, marriage is hard. There's a lot of ways that marriage can fail. My wife beat me up this week just in case you were wanting to know. Uh, no, I'm not just talking about the difficulty. I'm talking about a specific manner in which hell destroys. You see what I'm saying? And so I want you to all be, I want to challenge you all to be honest about these things. You will not change if you're not being honest. Your lies will keep you trapped. The lie is the drug you keep using. It is that which keeps you trapped. You need to be honest. If you have a problem, you need to go to your spouse and you need to be honest about that problem. Will it hurt? Yeah. And should you take care in doing it, doing it the right way? Yeah, please do. Please do. But I'm telling you, as long as you accept the lie, you will not be changed. (sighs) Heavy stuff. Sorry, I'll, I'll preach something nice next week. The fourth lie we tell ourselves over and over and over is... That's just the way I am. We justify ourselves. We act out. We act carnal. We transgress. And we say, oh, that's just the way I am. No, that's just the way you are in sin. That's not the way God made you. He made you in his image. He made you to serve him. He made you to please him. He made you to be a worshiper. So don't fall back on self-deception and say, that's just the way I am. Here, Paul, when he says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the last lie, last lie is this. I can do it tomorrow. I can get right Tomorrow. No. That lie will keep you stuck in today. Who promised you tomorrow? When I was growing up, there was a whining song. I loved it. He said, Tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Sing in the center. And then the preacher answers and says, who promised you tomorrow? You need to repent today. Serve the Lord today. So my challenge to all of you, I know this is a heavy message and I'm, I'm not apologizing. I'm just acknowledging. We need this. Because if we settle or a feel-good self-deception, even if it has a religious label. We we will be like the the Pharisees to whom Jesus said, you're a liar like your father, the devil. Wait a minute, Jesus doesn't say that to sinners. Sinners are being honest with Jesus. It's the religious who have developed a very practiced self-deception and they've learned how to hide And they've learned how to fake. And they've learned how to pretend that's not the path to the kingdom of God. There's a better path. In fact, there is the only path to the kingdom of God. And that is this. I'm turning away from the lies that I tell myself. And I'm saying, Lord Jesus, I need you to heal me. I need you to wash me. I need you to cleanse me. I repent of my sins. I'm not done being changed. I need change in the here and now. I'm not finished repenting. I need repentance in the here and now. I'm not done humbling myself before the mighty hand of God. I need to do it in the here and now. Not tomorrow. Not tomorrow. Not sometime next year. Not when it's convenient. In the here and now. I need God today. So. If there's one thing that you have to do if you're going to get to the city of God, see the images here? If you're going to get to the city of God, and be ready for what he wants to do in your life. You need to start walking toward him and you need to say, God, save me from these lies that I tend to tell myself. Save me from self-deception that lets me pretend that I can have the world and have God too. Let me be transformed from the old me. Let me put off deception and let me humble myself before the mighty hand of God that you would change me by your power and your spirit. Jesus name. Would you stand with me all across the house where you are? Would you lift your hands in the presence of the Lord? And would you let repentance work within you? Would you humble yourself in prayer before God? Would you, would you make confession of your need to God right now all across the church? If you're watching this online and wherever you are in your home, I would, I would love for you to do the same thing we're doing here right now. I'd like you to just let that place become a bubble of you and God. Just you and God. Just in your living room right now. Just say, Lord, am I humbling myself before you? Am I really repentant? Am I being honest with myself? Or have I gotten comfortable with self-deception? Have I gotten comfortable with kind of explaining it away? This is the Spirit of the Lord calling to you. This is real world conviction in my heart, in your heart, challenging me, challenging you to get it right, to get our heart right, to repent of our sin, to choose truth, to choose truth not to embrace the lie like the father of lies, Lucifer himself. Lord Jesus, would you fill us with your truth, O God? Would you teach us to buy the truth and sell it not? Would you teach us to humble ourselves? Would you teach us to acknowledge the failures in our life, not hide them, not explain them away, not justify them, but confess them, Lord Jesus. Look them square in the eye and say, I am not enough. This is I'm not enough. I need mercy today. I need spiritual cleansing today. Lord, I'm praying for all of us. I'm praying for myself. I'm praying for my friends. Every person under the sound of my voice here today. Oh, Lord Jesus, we seek truth. Not fame. Not fortune. Not the things of this world. Not the lust of the flesh. We seek truth. Oh, God. That's what we desire. Would you place it in our lives? i yeah. yeah. Deliver us from our lives, Lord Jesus. That we would be effective in your hand. Use us for your kingdom and your glory. Let truth be our our spiritual focus. In Jesus' name. We pray for ourselves here today. But in my spirit, I'm saddened because I know so many people should be active in the kingdom of God but they're not today all because of a lie all because of a lie I've never seen I've never seen people leave church leave God and backslide without there being at least one sometimes a whole passel of lies that they have chosen to believe and it has separated them from the church There are people who should be, if not in this room right now, they should be watching online, texting one another, showing their kids how to worship in their homes. They ought to be doing that today, but they're not, they don't know what they believe now. They think they believe this, they kind of believe that. Whichever latest teacher comes along, they believe that. They don't have foundations and they're blown to and fro. They believed a lie. I'll give you some examples of lies. No one in that church likes you anyway. It's a lie from hell. I promise you, there's some people here who like you. There's maybe some people who don't, but that's a terrible reason to give up a relationship with God. Lies that hell uses. This is just who I am. I've tried to change and I can't. Well, yeah, you tried. That's the problem. You tried. You tried. You've been trying and trying. You're like a bee stuck against a window. Pss, 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 pss. You cannot see the doors open. So you keep doing the same thing. Pss, pss, pss. This is futility. You need to let God put His hand on your life and say, Not this way, my child. Over here. Over here. Over here. Over here. I've seen families destroyed over lies to each other lies to themselves i've seen churches go through splits because hell is the expert at the lie these things ought not to be you know why We are people who are embracing a kingdom of truth, making our way to a heavenly city. We're walking every day toward the city of God. And when we get there, we want to be ready to receive. When we get there, it's not enough for us to have an outward veneer of religiosity like the prophet said of the Old Testament. It's not enough for us to have a label of theological inheritance. It's not enough for us to say, well, I've been serving God. Okay, fine, fine, fine. When you get there, you need to be ready for what God has for you. Because the enemy on the journey is the lies you tell yourself. And so, Lord, save me lying lips. Save me from lying lips. Save me from a deceitful tongue. Help me to see your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like us to pray for other people right now. You all have people who love, you care for, and they're 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 far from God. And you can see how the enemy, the deceiver, has been at work in their life. Would you be an intercessor for a moment and pray for the person that God will put on your heart? And they're far from God. Some of them are bound in addictions and sins and really the story is getting uglier and uglier. There was a day they had a great relationship with God. Would you call their name out before the throne as an intercessor right now? Would you stand in the gap for that individual? Oh Lord Jesus, I pray against the power of the lie. I pray against the work, the insidious work of the lie in people's life to separate them from you, to separate them from your kingdom, to let them settle for uh, outward uh, observance and not an inward transformation. Lord Jesus, would you work on us? I pray, oh God, would you work on us? I pray, oh God, that when we come to your house, we lay down our pretenses, we lay down facades, we quit pretending like we're the perfect husband or the perfect wife. We quit pretending like we're perfect parents or perfect kids, but in your presence, we confess our weakness and there we are filled with your strength. In your presence, we confess our need and we are given your supply. In your presence, we confess our sickness and we need your healing. Let it work as testimony to this generation, as testimony to these people. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them.